listening to Match Point Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel podcast. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. This episode brought to you by Yonix Canada, our second episode on the grounds in Toronto. And Mike, already electric scenes at this tournament that we've seen. Holy smokes. I mean, as we're recording this, still kind of buzzing from what we just saw on center court, uh, which was the most incredible match of the day by far and a very unexpected result for Canada's Milos Raonic uh, because he was up against the ninth seed in the tournament, Francis Tiafo, someone who's been playing terrific tennis all year long. Milos comes in with four match wins. I think we're all thinking big time underdog. Maybe he can make it competitive, best case scenario. And instead he goes out and in three sets and well over two hours thrills the crowd and takes it 6-7, and that was 14-12 in that first set tiebreak. More about that tiebreak shortly. Um, and then 7-6, uh, second set uh, in the tiebreak, another tiebreak, and 6-3. And, um, yeah, I'm just um, – well, you take it from here because I'm having, a trouble, having trouble coherently explaining what I just saw out there. <laughs> it was uh, – no, it was, it was an absolutely electric match back and forth. Uh, firstly, I, I think the drama that unfolded in the first set tiebreak would certainly be the big talking point, especially if he were to lose this match. And Roundage started off, I think there were probably some concerns right away because Tiafo, didn't look good. Tiafo broke in the very first game of the match and already we're thinking maybe, you know, Milos, he's coming back after two years off of the tour. and really How much can we expect from him? Exactly. And as you said, he'd, you know, he'd only played four matches. This is just his third tournament but he had circled Toronto on the calendar he made it a priority it's fitting in a way it's his first time back in Toronto in five years and when he was back there he played and lost to Francis Tiafo in three sets they again have a three-set encounter and we know Tiafo is a brand new player at this stage of his career compared to five years ago he's a recent U.S. Open semi-finalist from last season He's top 10 in the world, world number 10, in fact. So for Milos to secure a top 10 win, serve 36 aces, which is actually the second most in a best of three match of his career, an incredible feat at this stage. I mean, the number of times he came up with a huge serve under pressure in this match was such a difference maker. And uh, if we touch on the first set tiebreak, 14-12 for Francis Tiafo, and on the set point at 12-13... Uh, it was Tiafo sprinting, tracking down a drop shot from Milos, making a phenomenal get with a forehand winner and running into the net, which would normally, um, of course, cost you the point. And when it, when it first happened, my initial thought, I was watching it down in the stands, so no commentary about what's going on, just what you can see. And from where I was, I thought, oh, was it a double bounce? Are they, right. are they saying that you know, Tiafo took a double bounce before he hit it because clearly the cross-court forehand, which was unreal, landed in the court. There was no debate about that. Yep. But it was his his touching of the net. And the chair umpire, um, Fergus Murphy, didn't seem to have a good grasp of what was going on because initially it looked like he was agreeing with Raonic that mm -hmm. TFO touched the net. There was no debate that he did touch the net. But then he had to call out the supervisor to um, sort of explain that well, and apparently this is on page 195 of the ATP rulebook, if anyone wants to actually go look it up or, or read that. And, and it's a rule I wasn't familiar with, that if you touch the portion of the net that is between the doubles alley, 
then that is actually considered a permanent fixture of the court. And because they're playing singles, you're allowed to have contact with that and and not be, um, you know, having the point taken away from you. So I think a lot of people weren't familiar with that rule. Yeah. Even after the match, when he was asked about it, uh, or it was even before he was asked about it, Milos went to that right away and said, well, I'm going to have to go and, and look up that rule. But to be perfectly honest, uh, I, I think the rule was properly applied. It was just the confusion around it that created a bit more of a circus scene than, than there probably needed to be. Yeah, and of course, it was it was very strange to hear the chair umpire essentially overrule himself because initially he, he did give the call of uh, Francis Tiafa running into the net point for Roundage, then overruled himself based on what the supervisor said and reading out the rule that Tiafo touched the area between the singles stick and net post. This area is considered a permanent fixture not part of the net. That's from the tournament referee, Tony Cho. That so was the go. ruling after. And a lot of confusion. <laughs> and you can see the looks on both of the players' faces. First, it was Tiafo all ticked off. Then it's Milos Raonic all ticked and off. And there was a period of time where they both actually looked amused about it, too. Yes, so they went through they all the emotions laugh. over that few minutes. And it seemed like an eternity until it was finally decided. And I've never heard a tennis crowd in Canada, anyways, here at the National Bank Open, boo so loudly and for such a sustained period of time. They were ticked off because they also were confused about what was going on in that moment. And and Milos, who you rarely ever see let the emotions out negatively, uh, even positively, he said to us recently, he keeps his emotions under check. Uh, he destroyed that racket. Yeah. And, and you know what? Fair enough. In that moment, I would have been pretty ticked. <laughs> no kidding. And uh, Chair Empire Fergus Murphy did, did say this wasn't a judgment call. And something like a double bounce is a judgment call. And we've seen mistakes on those happen in the past on court, which can, uh, you know, change a, a course of a match. It happens. This wasn't a judgment call. We know it wasn't a double bounce. He ran into a portion of the net that's deemed not a fixture of the net. It sounds very strange. But look, Milos, for him to mentally... Uh, come not back unravel. in this match, not unravel, not get flustered, stay with it. And with uh, his stamina and conditioning also, you would think that going into that third set in a long match, and we did see him a couple of times get treated for his lower back yeah. as the match went on, uh, even at 5-6 when he was going to go out in the second set and serve to push it to a tie break, and you'd think he'd want to just keep going and, and keep the momentum, he obviously had to take that break. That's not a time when, as a player, you're going to want to take a break. Mm -hmm. I don't believe anyways. I think with his serve, you're going to want to just go out there and let it fly and push it to that breaker. So uh, w what an incredible result. What a huge victory. And it must just be so rewarding for him, knowing everything he's been through the past two years, to question whether he was going to be able to come back, to put in all the time and work and effort to get back to match shape, drop that weight, and, and, and all the hardships and hurdles he'd had to face. This must just be, you know, complete validation for him that he can still play at the upper levels of the ATP. And like you said, uh, post-match with Sportsnet's Arash Madani, it's, it's moments like this that make that struggle and that long hiatus and that doubt, and it makes it all worth it to put in the time and effort that he did to get back. And to do it in front of his parents who were here. Like, it was so nice. I had a great mm -hmm. sight line on his, his players, his box, and his parents were there cheering. His mom was, like, clapping in unison with the let's go Milos chants. Um, his wife was there. His team was looking, you know, obviously ecstatic when the match was over. And uh, I also thought it was really nice that as Francis Tiafo was walking off the court, Milos's parents, I swear, were the two loudest cheering for him, which was really, Very really nice. cool to see. Yeah, and we know, uh, look, Tiafo, I think, is one of the most likable players on the ATP circuit. I, I think if you were playing anybody else non-Canadian in this tournament, first round, he would have 
a, a vast uh, crowd supporting him. Uh, unfortunately, in this case, he's facing a Canadian. So tough environment. I thought he played pretty well, honestly, especially in that first set. In that tiebreak, I thought Milos really applied the pressure in Tiafo. Uh, he came up with the goods. He really, Several really did. Several times in that opening set tiebreak in particular. Um, we should talk about another Canadian who was in action today. Yes. And even though didn't get the result he wanted, I think Alexis Gallerno can hold his head up high from the way he played in defeat against uh, Francisco Serendolo. Um, why don't you tell us what, what you saw from that match? And uh, also, obviously... We've got Galarno on the podcast today. Yeah, look, he's our guest for, for episode two. And I, I thought um, he really performed admirably out there on center court today, Sobe Stadium, against a tough opponent, top 25 player in Francisco Sorrendolo, someone who's been to the semifinals of the Miami Open, made the round of 16 of the French this year. And, you know, the first set sort of concerned me because... Gallerno, it felt like he was there with him physically in the match, and yet the scoreline was lopsided. So you're closer than 6 2 for sure. It was a lot closer than 6 2, and you just got the sense often, sometimes when you know you're, you're with your opponent, but losing in a one sided fashion, it could work against you. Like it could have been a match where maybe Serendolo suddenly coasts in the second and it's over. But uh, Gallerno really fought hard in that second set. His backhand down the line, I thought oh was God. incredible. Money uh, shot for him today. Absolutely. Uh, the number of winners he was roping down the line with that backhand, it was really his shot of the day. A really relentlessly applying pressure to Sarundalo, who got noticeably tight at the end of the second set. A couple double faults, a couple surprise mistakes, and a lot suddenly, of first serves missed too. I felt like even yes. throughout, even in the first set, a lot of first serves missed. I don't know the stats, but it just seemed like there were quite a few. No, absolutely. And uh, look, it was Galarno who was up three love in that third oh, set, three love with a break point chance to go up four love. Four and love. if you get a double break in that s- situation, it's done. The match is probably over. The nerves, and I think. Eh? The nerves probably got to him. It didn't feel to me like Sorrendolo really started playing better. Right. It felt to me more that Gallerno was letting the moment get the better of him, which is also understandable. Yeah. Playing center court in his home country tournament. I mean, how many ATP matches has this guy ever played anyways, right? And uh, the errors started to, to pile up as that set went on that last Yeah, set. and and look, I, I think... Um, you know, Gallerno has never won a main draw ATP tour match. And obviously, it's going to venture into your mind. You're up three love in the third set Getting in Toronto. So you're right there. You're right on the precipice of a huge victory. It would have been a top 25 win. Sorrendolo, I think, did really, really well to kind of buckle down and stay solid when he was down three love. He came up with yeah, some not big spectacular, serves, but, but, but just solid. very steady. And for me, I mean, the key stat of the match was the breakpoint stat. Gallerno, 3 of 13, and Sorundolo, uh 5 of 6. Well, there you go. So that, Huge difference. That sort of tells the story. But I think, honestly, Gallerno showed a lot and probably revealed a lot to himself in terms of he belongs. And it's going to be really interesting to see how his career unfolds, where it goes from here. Um, it can only really go up because he's got, you know, I mean, other than winning Granby recently, as he enters more events, the ranking points, it's not like he's defending a whole lot of points from a year ago, right? So no, exactly. It's very interesting to see what he can do. And I think it gives Canada you know, more depth, which is something that we need. Yes, we've got uh, Felix, Dennis, now Milos is back. But what we don't have that other countries like the United States, who are obviously much bigger nations, bigger population, we don't have that same depth in the top 100 that they do. Yeah. And so I think, you know, Gellarno, Diallo, these are players that can hopefully add to those depth pieces and positions. And, uh, you know, when it comes to Davis Cup, he's already been a member of that Davis Cup winning team, albeit in a supportive role. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. 
But hey, for right now, why don't we throw to your interview with Alexi Gallardo? Yeah, had a chance to speak with him just ahead of the tournament. Here's my conversation with the Canadian from Laval, Alexi Gallardo. Pleased to be welcomed uh, by Alexi Gallardo on Matchpoint Canada, and welcome to Toronto. Um, firstly, you. just how excited are you to be in the, the main draw at the National Bank Open this week? Yeah, super excited. Um, you know, I look up to this event every year, you know, being prepared for it, and I think I'm peaking at the right time, so I'm excited to get going, and hopefully I can play some good level. Is it... Uh is it intimidating or inspiring when you're, you know, you're on these grounds around the practice courts and you're seeing guys like Alcaraz, Medvedev, and and all the superstars of the game, and kind of get that feeling like maybe I've I've sort of made it. Yeah, it, I think my outlook has changed a lot in you know five five years ago when, or even three years ago when I was here. Um, it's just now I, I feel comfortable here. I feel like I belong here. I think an experience like uh, Montreal last year shows me that my level is here and my progress has been trending the right way. So I feel I feel good here. I, I'll ask you about last year in Montreal. Just uh, what did you learn from that experience mm -hmm. being being on a big court facing yeah. like a top kind of 30 type of player yeah. and, and being able to hang and compete with them? Yeah, I learned a lot. Um, you know, I think he showed a lot of experience and is the way he played those last few games of that match, uh, <laughs> it went by fast. And I went back and looked at the tapes and I got to give him a lot of credits for that. Uh, what I learned from that is, you know, trying to learn how to or be more, you know, have more clarity on what I'm trying to do on court, have my identity. And this last year has been great for that. I feel like uh, I had some challenging moment, but it's brought out you know, more clarity on what I need to be doing to be successful. Now, I know you're from Laval. Um, did you spend any time around Granby uh, when you were younger? Um, and what, what was your experience like just winning that huge, huge title, your first ATP Challenger? Yeah, I, I only knew Granby for, uh, for the zoo. And then <laughs> when, I got into, uh, when I got into tennis, I started following the Canadians that have also had a lot of success in Granby. It's always been a special place for a lot of Canadians. So, uh, you know, obviously we've seen uh, media exposure from it. And so uh, I even myself wanted to win this title because, you know, I see the crowd and the atmosphere there is amazing. And to actually achieve it last last week or, or two uh, was amazing and was really good time with my family and friends there too. Are they uh, here in Toronto as well? Do you have any family and friends? Uh, yeah, my whole yeah, my whole family is here. They just arrived last night, so it's oh, going to be a fun week. Okay, that's that's great. I, I want to ask you about um, maybe your your college experience and maybe how that's helped you grow as a tennis mm -hmm. player. You know, we've seen certain players who went the college route have amazing success, like Chris Eubanks, who mm -hmm. just made a Wimbledon quarterfinal. How has it helped you, maybe as a player or a person, to to get where you are today? Yeah, I think. First of all, it shows me that, you know, I need to make the most out of this experience. Um, I was surrounded by, you know, non-athletes. So uh, also my family, I'm really lucky to be playing tennis as my job. It's not everyone that can do that. So just that outlook about playing professionally has been helping me, you know, not put too much pressure on myself and really enjoy the, the progress and the process. 
but uh, also you know for example two weeks ago when I played in my final in Granby I think the last set was very tough very uh, getting a little chippy as well and moments like playing college you know helped me deal with this uh, with this adversity and I think it was the reason why I won that final I, I was able to take all that energy from the crowd and really lock in on what I need to be doing. And you'll definitely get some, some great energy here in Toronto. Uh, last question, we, we had Felix Ojeleasim uh, at his press conference, and uh, I asked him uh, about your title, and he said you've had some good conversations about, about that. Uh, even though you're older than him, is, is he kind of a, a mentor in a way still, or, or how often are you sort of sharing tennis tips? Yeah, we, we share tennis tips tips when we feel like is needed uh it's nothing forced or whatever uh you know I had a tough start of the season he reached out to me we had some really good conversation on you know trusting the process focusing on things that I can control and you know I gotta give him credit because that that conversation definitely uh impacted my my outlook on what what I need to what I want to do and stuff like that so I'm grateful for him that's great. Well, uh, we're excited to watch you this week. Uh, Thank you. Good luck here and, and good luck for the rest of the season. Thank you very much. There you have it, my conversation with Canadian Alexi Gallarno. This episode brought to you by Yonix. Yonix is proud to announce the launch of Percept, a new tennis racket series for intermediate and advanced players. The rackets developed to seamlessly act as an extension of the arm, effectively transmitting accurate ball information, which results in greater control. This enhanced feel and control is designed with the hope that it will support players in expressing their own unique and creative playing style on court. Percept is already available worldwide. The all-new Percept Racket Series caters to the demands of the world's top tennis athletes who seek precise ball and trajectory control. Implemented with world-class innovations, the racket features Yonix's signature isometric technology, creating a 7% larger sweet spot, which offers greater control without compromising power. The new Percept Racket set to be used by several top players, including world number 10 Francis Tiafo, three-time slam champion Stan Wawrinka, and three-time WTA Tour champion Diana Yastremska. Yonex remains committed to supporting athletes and achieving their best performance by providing world-class, high-quality products and driving further innovation through unique technology. Let's talk Davis Cup. Yeah. Because it took a while for this celebration to happen, many, many months after the fact, but this was the right place to do it in front of tennis fans from across this country that have been supporting these guys over the years. And I thought the ceremony was terrific. Not only did you have uh, the, the playing members of the team and you had uh, team captain Frank Dancevich there as well, but they brought out a whole slew of players who have represented Canada in Davis Cup competition before. A bunch of players from way back in the day who've been there from some of the you know earlier teams, renditions of the team. Peter Polanski, Braden Schnur, of course Daniel Nestor had to be there as well. Um, and so I just thought that that really was, was really well done, that it's not just celebrating this team, but it's celebrating all the guys that led us to this point too. Yeah, exactly. Um, you don't get the opportunity to win a Davis Cup 
without all the teams that came before and sort of the building blocks that have been put in place for for many many years for this Canadian roster and and Daniel Nestor was I, I mean that's obviously the name that I think comes to the forefront in terms of a staple of Davis Cup tennis that's no the Canadian one, I'll always think of no one is ever going to play more Davis Cup ties for Canada than Daniel Nestor I mean that's pretty much a foregone conclusion yeah, right? like Milos and Vashik would have to play until they were like 50 for them to <laughs> have a chance I exactly like. exactly and even you know Milos Raonic not being part of the winning Davis Cup team from last year again it doesn't diminish in any way or take away his huge role in Canada getting to that stage and having an opportunity to win Davis Cup which uh, which they did and I think there's going to be more opportunities to come you see and how for young, him to be included and for him to squad. be included if, if he's healthy next year why not why not? Uh, I think he. I think he would love another opportunity to represent Canada in Davis Cup. I can absolutely tell you, Vashik Pospisil, if he's healthy, he almost always answers the bell for Davis Cup. And he's a lock because you need him in doubles, right? You need yep. that versatility that he brings in doubles. I also want to mention that, um, in terms of previous Davis Cup players for Canada, that 73-year-old Dale Power was also among the uh, the men that lined up tonight. And uh, Dale is going through a really tough battle with cancer right now, so we wish him all the best. And I thought that was really touching for him to be there too he was 10 times 10 years in his career the Canadian number one uh, before our time but obviously someone you, mm -hmm. you look back and these are the guys um, you know who really carried Canadian tennis and brought Canadian tennis along and uh, and here we are and it's really important to look back and, and give them their proper due as well yeah very well said uh, if we talk a bit more tennis from the Monday um, I went to grandstand, Chris Eubanks versus Gao Monfils. I have to say, the grandstand was absolutely packed for this match. Packed and almost overflowing. You had dozens of people waiting to catch a glimpse, waiting to watch this match. Uh, Monfils, I think, was the headliner in a sense. But everybody, of course, knows about Chris Eubanks as well now. Wimbledon quarterfinalist, um, you know, almost top 30 now. This was a great three-setter. Monfils, I, I mean... I don't think I've ever seen as great a showman on a tennis court as this guy. Uh, the crowd absolutely soaked up every moment of it. Some of the points and gets he had were simply electrifying. For him to do it at this stage of his career, it was kind of a vintage Monfils performance to advance in three sets. Yeah, this is the match that I think we both sort of highlighted on the draw when it first came out. Yep. And we spoke about it with our friend Karina Mustafa recently on her YouTube show, uh, Crease Point. And, uh, and it lived up to the hype, I feel like. And Mofis, I mean, there was a moment in the first set where he ran and made this crazy forehand get and won the point, and he just stopped. And I'm like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And he bowed to the crowd on one side, deep yep. bow, and he turned and deep bow to the crowd <laughs> on the other side. And it's like, yes, you know what? Celebrate a point like that. Tennis needs this. And his personality has always been so unique. His athleticism has also been so unique. Uh, it was a pleasure to be out there. I caught the first half before I moved over to the Davis Cup celebration on center court. And just even taking pictures of a player like that is so enjoyable because no shot is going to look the same. No no camera shot is going to look the same because of the way that he plays out there. Yeah, very well said. And uh, I love the dynamic of that type of match because Chris Eubanks is playing a highly aggressive game style. And then that's being countered by how well Monfils defends the court, how athletic he is moving across the court, that you really get some exciting, incredible points. And uh, for Monfils to get this victory, and he actually played pretty well in Washington the previous week, winning a couple matches, it seems like he's gathering a little bit of momentum. And he opened up actually in his press conference afterwards about sort of the battle of getting back and how much 
he loves being home and being a dad. I, I thought it was really insightful and really revealing he, uh, for him to open up like that, that he, he loves being a father, but he still has love for the game. It's tough for him to commit to play weeks consecutively for that reason, yet he knows he has to if he wants to get his ranking back to a place where he'd like it to be. Yeah, not everybody can afford to bring their four kids or however many kids you have around the tour like Roger Federer would have done no because kidding. of his you know, unlimited budget, of course, right? So, And I think it's a cool story to have two professional tennis parents too. I mean, that's pretty awesome. Yep. Federer's kids can say that as well because Mirka also had a, a WTA career. Um, but it's cool that they're both still playing and both still playing well. And I mean, look at what we've seen, seen from Svitolina since oh, she's know. come back. Just, yep. you know, incredible stuff, including her deep run at Wimbledon. So, yeah, I mean, as a parent myself, I kind of have a little extra spot in my heart for tennis players that are doing it with kids um, because I know how hard it is just when you're at home base, you know, let alone traveling the world and trying to balance a, a professional uh, sports career like they are. Yeah, I- exactly. Um, other action. I didn't really get to see much of this one, but but Tommy Paul gutting out a three-set win over Diego Schwartzman. I thought he would kind of coast in this one. Schwartzman kind of giving him a good push, but Tommy Paul moving into the second round. I mean, there's still a lot to come in terms of the night sessions. Felix, a blockbuster for the Tuesday. On and his I, birthday. On his birthday, no less, which is which is great. And then I, I think everybody has Wednesday night circled. Oh, what's going on Wednesday night again? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Carlos Alcaraz, world number one. Making his debut in Toronto. And you know from the weekend, I, I mean, you, this guy's a rock star. Uh, they love him here. They uh, absolutely love him, which is great to see. I mean, we've got knowledgeable tennis fans here in Toronto, so it's no surprise. Yeah. But they're appreciating who is on site here, who has arrived, and they're going to go nuts Wednesday night when he takes the No court. kidding. I, I heard there were over 5,000 alone just for his practice on the weekend. Just wow. for his practice. Yeah, so just wait. It's going to be packed. And i got to say, the crowd for a Monday today, I know it's a holiday Monday here in Canada, but still, day session. Really good. Busy as I've ever seen it. Yeah. No, it was great. And uh, people... Um, were not nervous to come out despite the weather either. Well, um, and you know what? The, and the, it held up. The rain gods, the tennis gods were with us today because it went way better than it looked. And as Milos was trying to close out that match against TFO, I was just like, please, dear God, <laughs> don't let the skies open up now. Just let them get across the finish line. And uh, so as we wrap up this podcast, um, this day one of the uh, main draw uh, podcast, we're going to go and catch that Milos Raonic press conference now. And uh, I can't wait to hear his take on that epic match that we just witnessed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thanks so much uh, to our sponsor for this episode, Yonex Canada. Guys, thanks for listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will be back with another episode shortly. <laughs> <laughs>